This morning's reading comes from Jonah, chapter 1, verse 17, through chapter 2, verse 10. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Christ Central Church. Good morning. My name is Josh Kim. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central Church. We're glad you could join us this morning. If you're new with us, please do stop by our visitor's table, um, guest table. We'd love to get to know you, uh, to share the vision, the mission of Christ Central Church, and to walk with you in this season as well. Uh, before I begin, I, as I walked through the doors of our church, I, I, I heard nothing but praise from an event that took place here yesterday. Um, and so I just want to thank Many women that participated, yeah, let's give a round of applause for that. Um, especially our uh, women's director, LeVan McLean, who worked very hard behind the scenes with all the volunteers to be able to put out that event together. So thank you for doing that. Um, and I was really jealous because I heard there's so many things that were shared, uh, prayed about, and, um, but I also realized you know, the, it wasn't just an event yesterday. We, we see not the events like yesterday as the women's event only. Yes, it was geared towards women, women in our church, but we know that the effects of that, the fruit of that, will continue to feed our church and will follow our sisters as they teach us what it means to share our stories together. Amen? We are back in our uh, Minor Prophets this morning, and we're in the part two of Jonah. We'll finish out Jonah Next week, and after that, we are straight going into Advent season. Can you believe it's already November? December is coming up. I know some of you love Christmas. You're already putting up trees and songs and all this stuff. I get it. It is, it is that season indeed. So we're going to finish up Jonah today and next week, and we'll delve into the other parts of the scripture for the time being. Hitting rock bottom. Hitting rock bottom. There was a state of 102 loss Texas Rangers baseball team just two years ago. If you put 102 losses in perspective, if a baseball team plays 162 games during the regular season, then you lose 63% of the time, meaning every 10 games you play, you are bound to lose more than 6% of the time. It was the worst in the majors at the time. 
And if you're not a baseball fan, you, you're, that's fine. You don't have to be. And there are different sports that you may follow. Perhaps the Panthers feel like we're in the hitting rock bottom these days. <laughs> Wondering, are they ever going to win something? And as a Bears fan, I like that because we have your draft pick, right? Thinking about those things, whether you're a soccer fan, you may be thinking, man, as a Manchester United fan, you're hitting rock bottom. Whatever it may be, we understand hitting the rock bottom means for a lot of sports analogies that happen in our lives. But it doesn't only have to be sports analogy for you to understand what hitting rock bottom feels like. It could be your business ventures as you are trying to make the ends meet in all those things. You hit the rock bottom at times. Sometimes it is with our struggles with finances. Sometimes it's our relationship with family members and friends hitting the rock bottom in my relationships with others. It could be the struggles of school, not being able to make it in the school, the circumstances they weigh us down. We feel like we're hitting rock bottom. That expression is often used. It doesn't only have to be the circumstances, but sometimes we hit rock bottom because of the poor choices that we make because of the choices and things as a result of our choices, the poor ones at that, we could all in one way or the other hit the rock bottom. And needless to say, I think we all understand what that feels like. At some point in our lives, we all felt the, the burden, the challenges of hitting rock bottom. When we meet Jonah at the end of chapter one today, he's literally hitting the bottom of the ocean. As Jonah was heading toward Tarshish, instead of going to the Nineveh, away from God's call to go and preach to the Ninevites, Jonah refuses to go towards God's command and goes away from him. And as you know, from last time we were here in chapter 1, God sends a massive storm, and now Jonah is thrown overboard into the sea, plunging to his death. And now that's hitting rock bottom. And that's what we find ourselves in chapter 2 as he's headed towards his death. And what we find is God is not done yet with Jonah. Not with Jonah, not with his disobedience, not with his sins, and surely not done with his mission, not only for the Ninevites, but also for the Israelites who have received this letter from the Lord. And I want us to remember one thing before we jump into chapter 2, is the fact that we're in chapter 2 and not chapter 4. Meaning we often get lost when thinking about the story of Jonah because of the sensational elements of the large fish and because we love vegetables so much. We all think about, great, the fish is here. Now the story is over. And all things that happen after that is like postscript. The whole thing gets focused on the fish, and rightly so. But what we see is this is just the beginning of the story that God unfolds for us. The ultimate end is not the miraculous rescue of the giant fish, what we find is more than the rescue itself, the story that God is bringing out in Jonah's imperfect efforts to even seek the Lord in the valley of the fish. But I don't know about you, but that gives me hope this morning because I'm not all that nicely packaged person who follows Christ, who responds to God every time and God says, do this way, surely, Lord, I will do it. Oftentimes, I am not that type of person. More so than that, I'm more like Jonah, who struggles to voice things, who, who doesn't have the right words to know and the right path to follow. I'm not like uh, the people that have all the, the right theology, right things position in, in life. I often find myself grunting, complaining, crying out out of desperation. And I see Jonah reflected far more in me in chapter 2 than I would like. But that's the hope that I also have as I share this scripture with you, and I hope this is the hope for us. 
as we delve into chapter 2, seeing how God works despite my imperfect journey of life. So if you're like me, let's follow Jonah in his experience of hitting the rock bottom and looking up towards the Lord as God guides him through that. Two things real quickly. First thing is how God guides Jonah up and up towards the Lord. One of the first things that this 102 lost Texas Rangers baseball club did was to hire the right coach. His name was Bruce Boshi, bringing the three-time World Series champion with 2003 career victories out of the show retirement out of San Francisco to take over a team that had had six consecutive losing seasons. Hiring of the coach with pedigree. And you often do this because we want this coach to come and to bring championship mentality. Right, that's, we hear this all the time. And he does that by not only pointing at their losses, but to say, we're headed somewhere. Lift your eyes and look at the goal that they're headed. And they hire this coach to begin this turnaround process. What we find in Jonah chapter 2 in the most deepest and darkest, literally the deepest, darkest moments of Jonah's life, we see God starting to turn around Jonah's life, turning Jonah's eyes up towards the Lord. And how does God do that? He does first by allowing Jonah to hit rock bottom. He actually allows him to hit rock bottom. That's what he said in verse 2. He's recollecting. He's remembering what happened as his, uh, the prayers that he lifted up. This is prayer not lifted up in the belly of the fish. This is a prayer that was lifted up as he was hitting rock bottom. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble. And he answered me, I called to you from the land of the dead. And the Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths. And I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. This is not in the belly of the fish. This was what was happening before. Jonah, who is thrown out of the boat into the sea, finally faces his own end. As stubborn as he has been in disobeying God's commandment, the depth he goes further and further down. As he goes down and down, he finally prays to the Lord which is in a poetic psalm form of a reflection of his experience, recollection of what happened as he remembers back to those prayers. Here when Jonah says, he called to the Lord from the land of the dead, or in other translation, as out of the valley of Sheol. This describes death itself. Sheol is a, Sheol is a Hebrew term for the state or the realm of the condition of death. Here he goes further to describe the death that surrounds him. He's literally hitting the, uh, the bottom of the ocean, drifting down to the ocean's floor as he's thrown to the sea. And Jonah is describing this excruciating pain of death engulfing him and his life sapping away. And the depth of the death that Jonah experiences here does not only have a physical element of him suffocating to death, but also a spiritual one. In verse 4, and this is what we find. Then I said, the Lord, you have driven me from your presence. I sank beneath the waves. In verse 5, the waters closed over me. The seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth, whose gates locked shut forever. And in the depth of the both physical death and a separation experience from the Lord. Here, Jonah lifts his eyes up to the Lord. Or better yet, God lifts Jonah's eyes up to the Lord, and the prayer of Jonah overflows in desperation as he's facing 
his death. And you and I get this, don't we? Often in our desperation, in our brokenness, we often pray more than in the joyous times. I've never met someone who refused a prayer when they're faced with something that's impossible for them. Recently at our church, we have been hit with many tragedies and hardships, death of loved friends and family members, unexpected ER visits, several layoffs in jobs, broken relationships with friends and family, challenges of parenting for many of us, or for you teenagers, what it means to grow up as a teenager. It's a challenging itself as well. In all this, the common thread I often hear as I meet with you is, Pastor, I have never prayed more than I ever done right now. I have never sought the Lord this much out of desperation and deeper than I have ever before in my life. Church, sometimes, not always, but sometimes we see this time and time again where God permits, where God allows these things to happen, the challenges, the the hardships of life to happen so we can learn to lift up our eyes to the Lord. As reformer Martin Luther called it, merciful wrath. Sometimes God even disciplines those he loves because and allows you to face the wrath, merciful wrath of God, so that you can finally turn away from your path and look to the Lord. And in this text, that's what we find Jonah facing. It's a good father who disciplines his loving son. God allows Jonah to sink down to the depth of the ocean, experience the death of life so he can lift his gaze up towards the Lord. And the prayer overflows not only because he hits the rock bottom, but Jonah describes here how God lifts up Jonah's eyes to the Lord is not only letting him hit the rock bottom, but also by the remembrance of who God is. In the midst of the hardship, Jonah remembers, oh God brings remembrance of who God is. And that's what we find in verse 7. As my life was slipping away, it says. And this is key verse here. It says, I Remember the Lord. The word remember in verse 7 in Hebrew is zakar. It is a common Hebrew word that is often used throughout the Old Testament. Not only with God saying, I remember Noah in the ark, or God remembered Abraham and Lot before bringing the disaster upon Sodom and Gomorrah. God remembered the Israelites who are groaning under the oppression of Egypt, but also the commands from the Lord such as, remember the seventh day. Remember, it was God who delivered you out of Egypt. It's a common word that is used time and time again throughout the scripture that describes recollection, bring into mind the things that has happened in the past. Jonah, in the depth, as his life was fainting, and this is what happens to him, for he remembers who God is. Or better yet, in the depths of the death he's facing, God brings about remembrance and reminds Jonah of who God is to him. Perhaps, he was remembered about, he, the remembrance was about the time he was called as a prophet, thinking that was God who called me to this mission. Perhaps it was a remembrance of God delivering Jonah against the angry Israelites who said, how dare you say this to us? Perhaps Jonah remembered the simple love that he felt as a child of God who rescued him, who rescued his forefathers. Or perhaps what he will remember at this moment was those scripture verses that he memorized as a child. 
It may be the words of Shema that all faithful Israelites were told to memorize and pray. Shema, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Perhaps he remembers those lines and remembers that God loves him. It is God who is present with them, reminding Jonah why he was in this place in the first place, realizing that separation from the Lord, the eternal death that comes with that, is far worse than disobedience that he wanted to pursue. So here what we find is Jonah, in remembrance of who God is, finally cries out to the Lord. And he says, an earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. And church, we do this too often, don't we not? How often this is our desperate hope in our hopelessness. How we long for our situations to go well. And we do this because we remember. We remember who God is. I love the red chairs. And I always talk about how we want the, the lines to go out the door. Not only because we can go there and not because we can solve your problems. There's no magic wand that says, go away, problems. We don't do that. But these saints of God at every Sunday are there to pray with you and to remind you to point you to God who uses prayers in God's people to bring about remembrance of who he is time and time and again. When I was in seminary, my professor would always start the class by making us memorize this. He would say, uh, start with the Bible, not with commentary, because he really wanted us to get, dig into the Bible first. And he would say, context is king. Reminding us, look at the context. Don't take it out of the verse and just try to get something out of it. And he would say, I pray as you are preparing a sermon this Sunday, I will appear and remind you of this. <laughs> it happens every single time. As I sit there, try to open the Bible, I'm like, ah, oh, i got to look at what the other people said. Start with the Bible, not with commentary. Ah. Context is king. It reminds me of the time that I spent, the, the, the journey we took to get there. Remembrance is there to remind us to bring back to the Lord. It's not a mask. I'm not saying that God maskly just appears out of nowhere. Sometimes God does that, right? In your dreams, God uses those moments, but God often uses the moments of prayers, the moments that you experienced in the past to remind us of who he is, to say, oh, I remember that time. Oh, I remember God who loved us. Oh, I remember how God brought me out of the depths as you drive by in the street. Remember, it was God who faithfully walk with you. As a youth pastor, I often think about preaching to our teenagers, and I always thought they will not remember what I said because I don't even remember what I said, right? All the sermons you preach, can I tell you exactly what I talked about a month ago? Probably not, without looking back at it, even if I wrote it. So how can I expect our teenagers, our kids, when I was a youth pastor, to remember everything I said? But I remember as a child thinking, as I was sitting and listening even sitting at that moment, listening to the Word of God preach, those memories bring back the times of my faithfulness of my pastor preaching the Word of God, the moments of breaking the bread and partaking in that. Those are memories that are seared into my head, in my mind, my heart. So when I go through the valleys of shadow of death, although there may not be someone preaching to my face at the moment, I remember the moments of God's faithfulness. And that's why we gather on Sunday. That's why we ask you teenagers, although it may be long, we long for with hope that as you go through life, perhaps in college, in the future, you remember. Not only your parents who loved you to bring you here, but remember the word of God that's preached. 
that God loves you. In the bottom, most difficult moments of your life, we pray that these moments will bring about remembrance. Let's do that, shall we? Let's do some holy imagination. As you drift into your life, as if you were to do a replay of your life, can you remember God's faithfulness? I know our woman talked about our stories. You know what that is? Basically thinking back to the moments of God's grace upon your life again and again and again. As you drift off, don't close your eyes and fall asleep, but if you drift off into your life, I'll venture to guess there are lots of whispers of grace, whispers of God's faithfulness. And Jonah here, in the lowest rung of his life, realized that there's only one place where he can place his faith in. Once again, this is the hope that Jonah finds here. Not only do we find Jonah experiencing his lifting up from the Lord by hitting the Uh, hitting rock bottom, and remembering God's faithfulness. But we also see how God goes to Jonah where Jonah is by lifting him up. The second thing we're going to see, God lifts Jonah up and goes to Jonah where he is. When we think about Texas Rangers baseball team, in order for them to win, not only do we know that you have to hire the right coach, but in today's present stage, we notice that there's got to be an investment. So what happened to to this Texas Rangers team is going into 2022 season, they shelled out $300 million to get all these players. Corey Seager, North Carolinian, who just won the World Series MVP, was handed $300 million contract. They handed out $175 million to Mark Seaman, who homered in Game 4 and Game 5 of the World Series. And before 2023 season, they spent another $200 million to bring about all the new players with the championship pedigree. In fact... Out of all the players that are still here from that 2020 uh, whatever team that lost 102 losses, only six of them remain, not the prime players. So when we think about turning things around, we think about getting rid of the old and starting with the new. And imagine if God does that with us. When God looks at your life and is like, oh, you messed up again? I'm going to kick you out and start over with the guy who's faithful to me. And with the prophet, God could have done that. But what we see is God does not leave Jonah behind, but rather he pumps in his grace and mercy upon his life and does not replace the worker, but he works within the worker to bring about God's grace. And that's what we see in the prayer that Jonah lifts up in the valley of the fish. And there's a lot of things has been made about this prayer in the Jonah in the valley of the fish, as you may think about being in the fish, being digested. <laughs> you may feel uncomfortable, but these are the three things we note in his great prayer that he prays up. First thing is we notice that Jonah's prayer is not about the answer prayer. Do you notice that? It's not about answer prayer. Rather, what we find in Jonah's prayer is Jonah's realization that where he was in the valley of the fish was the recognition of God even before he was delivered. We often jump to the conclusion of the story and say, Jonah got vomited out. Look, he's delivered. But what he's saying is here, Jonah is celebrating the moment that God rescues him while still he's in the valley of the fish. Just because he's the valley of the fish, he's not fully delivered yet. In fact, his great declaration that we often love to quote in verse 9, but I will offer sacrifice to you with the songs of praise. I will fulfill all my vows, for the salvation comes from the Lord alone. This great declaration of faith comes before verse 10, where it says, Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Do you notice that? Jonah's prayer is not about circumstantial deliverance and answer prayer. 
Rather, what we find in this prayer is Jonah's heart of thankfulness, despite the troubles that he is in. And you see, Jonah models that for us here. What he helps us to see here is not only focusing on getting out of the situation he's in, the depth of sea that engulfs him. Jonah, even in the midst of the most dire circumstances, shows his eyes, lifts up his eyes to the Lord. Verse 9, again, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise in the valley of the fish, and I will fulfill all my vows, for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. In these first two points, what we find is God is doing in the midst of our moments of hitting rock bottom. And what God does, church, oftentimes, more so than changing of the circumstances, what we find is that God is at work in the most important matter of Jonah's heart. And it is not a physical death that God's worried about. More so, he's worried about bigger threat than facing Jonah at the time. And there was eternal separation from him and the Lord. What God wants to work at, first and foremost, is your spiritual health. It's about the disobedience. It's about the hatred towards God, the sin. God says that as a bigger problem in your life rather than the circumstances you're in. I often say to people, hey, do you think God wants me to do X, Y, and Z? Yes, I think God has ideas about what you should be doing, X, Y, and Z, but you know what God is most importantly thinking about in your life? More than doing the X, Y, and Z, perhaps what God is really thinking about in your life is who are you becoming as you do X, Y, and Z? As you follow the Lord, it's not about, am I going the right path? Am I in sin? Am I not in sin? I get that all the time, right? Hey, is this sin? Am I in the clear? And we often say, can you tell me if I'm sinning or not? Right? Most often, you know. Even without me telling you. Like, you don't need a PhD or theological degree. You could just read it for yourself, too. You know what's right and wrong. Even as teenagers, you guys know, too, right? I mean, we know what, I mean, not all the time, but we know most of the time what's right and wrong. The question is, do you want to do it or not? And we often say, oh, pastor, I'm just really tired. Oh, pastor, I'm really lonely. Oh, pastor, I just, I just can't do it. That's not who I am. I have to care for myself first. We don't want to do it. But what we find in this text is God pointing at not a circumstances to change, but pointing at Jonah's heart to say, your heart is where I need to work on first. What I need to revive you is not just vomiting you out of the fish, but I need to vomit you out of depth of hell. And that's what Jesus tells us too, doesn't he, in Gospels? Matthew 10, 28. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Not only so the thief on the cross who sought physical deliverance, but others simply says, God, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied in Luke chapter 23, verse 43, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. And spoiler alert, the thief dies on the cross. But thief lives today with Christ in heaven. Well, church, what is your prayer this morning? If you believe in God of Jonah, who can raise a large fish to rescue Jonah, if you believe in the words of Jesus who promises care for you, if you believe in Jesus who rose from the dead, do you believe that everything in your life is in his hands? It is possible for him to rescue you out of your circumstances, but what he longs for, longs for, for you to be in eternal paradise with our Savior. Church, is that your prayer this morning as you come to the Lord? 
is that our hope as we long for him. But one final thing we see in this prayer is more than anything is the imperfect prayer of Jonah. We often love this prayer of Jonah, how he models thankfulness, how he models looking to the Lord. But what we notice in this prayer is that this is imperfect at best. Because let's pause and reflect why Jonah is here in the first place. Why is Jonah in the valley of the fish? And most people will say, because he went the other way. He went to Tarshish instead of Nineveh. So now, great, he's, he's quote-unquote, repenting. Now he's going to go towards the right path. But the question is, why did, not, did he not want to go to Nineveh? Which was his hatred, his racist heart, his ethnocentric mindset of thinking, I'm better than them. I'm above them. They don't deserve my time. Don't you dare say them was at the heart of Jonah's heart. Does he repent of that in this prayer? He does not. He's willing to go to Nineveh, but his heart is not yet dealt with. And we'll see that in chapter 3 and chapter 4. Surely there's recognition of the need of God for Jonah here, and acknowledgement that in fact that he has run away and did not listen, but deep within Jonah's hatred and disgust for Ninevites are still not worked out. And we see this in his prayer. In verse 8, he says, well, I'm not like them. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on the God's mercy, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. I will fulfill my vows, for the salvation comes from the Lord alone. And church, this is where we find this incredible grace of God. The grace of God that gives me hope. Because even despite Jonah's imperfect prayers here, even in the imperfect way he looks at himself, even the way that he's not able to see the speck in his eye and looks at the plank in the others, God is not done with him yet. And that's the grace that you and I could have this morning. Grace for the imperfect people who are still in progress like you and I. Jonah is still imperfect at his best. Even this great prayer he prays in the most dire circumstance of his life is still not perfect. But God is still working in Jonah's life, and God will still use Jonah to fulfill God's purpose. Sometimes I think we wrestle with this too. When we pray to the Lord, seeking God, we wonder, am I saying the right stuff? Am I aligned with God's way of things? Am I going? Do I have the right theology all in check so that I could pray the right prayer? Or do I have the right songs so I could do these things the right way? Or do I have the right programs? Am I in a good standing before the Lord so I could come before the Lord and feel like, oh, God, I'm ready to be accepted. Do you know how far that is from the grace of God? It's not by our own might. It's not by our own work that we can stand before the Lord. That's what we declare as Christians, don't we? By grace of the Lord. Why do we not go to the Lord with the open heart as a child would go and ask for anything in his name and allow God to answer as he sees fit? And that's how we are called to come to the Lord. We're not come to call, go to the Lord with the perfect theology. We're not called to come to the Lord with perfect programs and ideologies, with all that worked out in my life, to say, I'm healthy. Now use me, Lord. Send me. Lord, I'm ready to be used by the Lord because I got all these things done in my life. Rather, what God seeks is not a perfect servant, but a servant that is willing to listen and to follow him. And Jonah here, God works in his life to bring about the change in his life and as Jonah is spit out, he's headed towards Nineveh still. You see, despite Jonah's unwillingness, God's plan A never becomes plan B, C, D, or Z. But we also see the warning that comes with that as well. That as he works through you, chapter 3 and chapter 4 are still coming. 
two bookends of this uh, pericope, what we read in chapter 1, verse 17. Now the Lord had arranged a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. In chapter 2, verse 10, then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. These two bookends of the pericope we read today shows God's sovereign appointment at everything that have happened. God appointed a great fish before Jonah headed to Joppa. God appointed a ship and his sailors to take Jonah. And as we have seen, the storm is also appointed by God. And deliverance is also appointed by God. And through and through, we see God who is at work even despite our failure. And the story of Jonah is referenced in the New Testament. When we get to Matthew 12, 41, the people of Nineveh, it says, will stand up against this generation on Judgment Day and condemn it, for they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. And we'll see that next week. Now, Jesus says, someone greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. Jesus speaks of the events of Jonah and references his ministry and he says the Ninevites responded. And here, despite Jonah's imperfection, what we see is a greater Jonah in the scripture that Jonah points to. And Jonah spends three days and three nights in the valley of the fish. Do you remember who also spent three days and three nights in the tomb? It is Jonah who points towards the greater Jonah, Jesus, who in a perfect life and perfect death and resurrection brings God's people into the family of God. And the promise is, even as flawed as Jonah is, God still used Jonah to bring about revival in Nineveh. This perfect servant, a lamb who takes away the sins of the world, has come, and your life has changed. And now Jesus calls us to follow him as we follow Christ, as he transforms our life in the process. Salvation indeed belongs to the Lord and the Lord alone. That's the gospel message for us today. Chris Young is a general manager of Texas Rangers who's credited with the orchestrating the team's turnaround, and this is what he said. He said, I just know that the wait is over. As a Dallas, Texas kid who once rooted for his hometown team, later pitched for the Rangers, now serving as their executive vice president and general manager, he says, our history has changed, and I'm just so happy for so many people that have waited a long time for this. Well, Church of Christ, if a baseball team can experience this turnaround in two years, you know what Jesus tells us? The wait is over. I came to die on the cross and rise again. If Jonah was signed to you that God can do the most unimaginable, impossible act of not only changing the hearts of Ninevites, but changing Jonah's heart or transforming Jonah's heart in the process. Here is Christ, the King of kings who came to us, who lived, who died, who rises again. The wait is over, but as we await the King that will come and return, seek the Lord. Lift your gaze in your perfect prayers and hopes. Follow Him. It's not about how you follow, how you sound, whether it is whom you follow that matters, even towards Nineveh, even in the valley of the fish, even as you testify to the goodness of the Lord. Church, this is your story. Amen? Let's pray, shall we? Father, that's our prayer as we come to this table that reminds us of the reason why we're able to come. As you think about the story of Jonah and how you are still at work in his life despite his failures to seek the Lord, as we find the grace of God that is evident in our lives, how, he, how you work within our lives, 
This table represents that hope for us. This table represents the grace for us, that we come to receive this element. It is not by our own mind we come and take it, but we receive it with gratitude, with humility, knowing that, Lord, your work in our life is not done yet. We look to you, Lord, for that hope as we come. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.